RingCentral are the leading cloud communications and collaboration solution for today's workforce. RingCentral integrates your team messaging, video meetings and business phone into one application, so your team can do more together from anywhere. For a free trial, visit ringcentral.com.au. RingCentral, communications reimagined. Welcome to the Employees Matter podcast, where we bring you the latest information to help business owners, entrepreneurs and managers manage their team through COVID-19 and beyond. Listen in as we share leading edge information with experts across a variety of fields, from HR to legal, to negotiation, to mental health, and so much more to help you not just survive, but thrive through the pandemic. And now here's your host, Natasha Hawker. Hi, this is Natasha Hawker, your host of our rebranded Employees Matter podcast. You might wonder why we changed our podcast name from HR Heroes to Employees Matter. Well, it has long been our belief that your employees are your greatest asset and also potentially your greatest liability and should be treated as such. That is why our company is called Employee Matters and one of our values is Employees Matter. With COVID, there has been a significant shift happening in our workplaces, and it is our view that those businesses that are able to build and maintain employee assets will outperform their competitors every single time. So welcome to Series 2, where we explore five key themes of our new COVID world of work. One, JobKeeper. Two, restructuring redundancy and unfair dismissal. Three, population decentralization. Four, individual versus collective employee management. Five, mental health and domestic and family violence. I'm Natasha Hawker and remember your employees really do matter. Kate Carnell AO is the Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman and a non-executive director of the Climate Change Authority. She has held numerous chair and CEO positions across a wide variety of industries. Kate was appointed an Officer of the Order of Australia in 2006 for her services to community through contributions to economic development and support for the business sector, knowledge industries, the medical sector and medical technology advances. Kate fights tirelessly for the Australian small to medium business owner, and this has never been more important than during COVID. We were thrilled to have Kate as our guest on the Employees Matter podcast and to learn about all the exciting things that she's been working on and the success that she's been having. Welcome, Kate. I am so excited that I've been able to squeeze some time into your diary as I know you're super busy uh, trying to assist and advocate for so many hardworking Australian small businesses who are literally fighting for their business survival. So thank you and welcome to the Employees Matters podcast. An absolute pleasure, Natasha. It's great to be here. Wonderful. So there is a really good reason why I wanted to have you as a guest, as I think it's an incredibly tough time to be a business owner. Potentially the worst time in our lifetimes to date, but there's also opportunity there as well. And I know that you and your team have been working so hard to support SMEs, but also on some longer term changes to the employee relations system in Australia to make doing business easier. So we're going to cover some fabulous content today. But before I start, for those of you who don't know, what is your role as the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman? And what does success look like for you in this role? Well, look, I'm really lucky. I think I've got the best job in the world. Um, I started my career. I'm a pharmacist by profession. I owned my own pharmacies for 
about 15 years before I went into politics and done a number of um, industry associations and charities and so on since. But all of those things come together in this job because this job is, it's a statutory job. That means the Governor-General appoints me. I don't report to the government of the day. I have a piece of legislation that determines what I do. I have a budget, not a huge budget, but a budget that allows us to do it. And the legislation gives me two roles. The first role is to advocate on behalf of small to medium businesses, and the legislation defines the size of the businesses, fundamentally under 100 employees, which is about 99% of businesses uh, in Australia. Um, and that part, the advocacy part, um, requires um, me and my office to advocate and to try to get legislation, regulation, policy direction as small business friendly or SME friendly as possible. It also allows us to do inquiries um, into various issues that small business might raise. And inside those inquiries, we've got almost mini Royal Commission powers. So we can have public hearings, we can make people turn up, even subpoena people. Um, normally, we, we've got power to require documents from, um, from, from businesses. Uh, and, so, and we've done inquiries into things like bank loans, um, payment times. Um, at the moment, we're doing an inquiry into insurance um, and small businesses, whether small businesses can get the insurance they need to run their businesses. So we've got that part of the operation. And then we've got a more traditional ombudsman part, which helps small business one-on-one -on -one when they've got problems with other businesses, predominantly big business, but also government and particularly federal government um, agencies. So you can imagine the ATO is front and centre in that space, even though I think the ATO have really made an effort to you know, do the right thing. So I'm not having a go at them. But so we, we, have, that, that we have both of those scenarios. And if you're as passionate about small business as I am, what better job could you possibly ask for? We also look after a few of the codes like the franchising code, the dairy code, the horticulture code, the oil code. So where there's mandatory codes, um, we um, um, enforce those codes and, and uh, hopefully um, um, make alternate dispute resolution available um, and successful wherever possible. So, so there you go. There's this. There's the uh, the the breadth of it. And of course, in our you, you ask. So, what's the issues going forward? A chunk of the issues for us, you know, is getting people to under people in power or people generally to understand just the challenges mm. that small businesses are going through now and in the future. I mean, this isn't going away, you know, in a, in a day. You know, it's not, okay, businesses are open now, she'll be right, mate, all is, all is well. So working to attempt to get those policy um, positions right, um, understanding the current situation that many small businesses um, are, are operating in. So right at the moment, we're doing a piece of work, a short, sharp piece of work on travel agents. You know, um, we, we put out a survey actually last Friday um, and we have 1,200 responses to it already. You know, there's just an awful lot of small travel agents out there 
that are just, you know, just a world of pain, really. We have a number of clients in that space and I, I do check-in calls with them because I just feel for them through no fault of their own, um, you know, and they're in this horrible, horrible position. And for them, Natasha, they nobody is thinking, hopefully it all changes, but nobody's thinking that we're going to have international travel really open before next Christmas, Christmas 12 months. Mm -hmm. So for them, it's not even, you know, a slow improvement as it is hopefully for a lot of other businesses, Mm -hmm. you know, until they've really got the international travel space working again they're, you know, they really can't run their businesses probably. Many of them are telling us that sort of 80% of their profit, you know, their profitability and their turnover in their business is international travel, domestic travel, you know, isn't, it just isn't, you know, it it isn't where uh, local, you know, local travel agents really, uh, really operate. I expect too many of us go online and book our accommodation and our, you know, when we used to be able to fly somewhere, but, but increasingly we can again. But, you know, we don't necessarily use a travel agent for that sort of domestic approach. Maybe we should, I have to say. Maybe we have to think a little bit if we can use travel agents. Maybe we should going forward, otherwise we'll lose them. Yeah, and it's it's devastating. So I think for me what came out of that is that the breadth of what you cover is massive and that you love your role. But if I asked you specifically what you love about your role, what gets you out of bed with the passion and the enthusiasm that you tackle your role with every day that we see through your media um, appearances? Um, in Australia, um, we have 2.3 million operating businesses 2.2 million of those are small businesses. They, um, if we use the ATO definition of small businesses, that's um, under 10 million turnover. It's 99% of businesses in this country. They employ more than half the workforce. They make up um, about half our GDP. And in 2018, 76% of all new jobs came from that sector, from this sector. So what gets me up in the morning is that if we're going to, if as Australia comes out of this, if we're going to get the economy, fly, you know, firing, you know, for our, for our kids and for our future, we've got to get, allow the SME sector to fire. We've got to get, make the environment right for them to be able to employ again, you know, to be able to get their businesses up and running, to help them pivot their businesses you know, re-engineer their businesses, all the things they've got to do. And regularly, um, you know, that requires some adjustment to, to, to policy, to support and other things. So this matters. It does. So that gets me up in the morning, really. It does. So I think, you know, let's change uh, tact a little bit. The recent budget, I suspect like the majority of women and I think some men too were bitterly disappointed with the non-existent tackling uh, of the burden of expensive childcare. Now, I have to say my kids are now uh, teenagers, so I don't have the issue anymore, but plenty of women do. So what are your thoughts here? Why isn't this tackled? What could we be doing about this? Um, Natasha, I think this is something that we've really got to focus on. You know, I think for, for too long, this is going to seem really sexist, but maybe we've had, you know, too many uh, old white males running, uh, running the show in this country who 
um, possibly just haven't understood the scenario. You know, now 38% of small businesses and increasing quickly are, um, um, are businesses are owned by women. Mm. Um, we're encouraging young people to go into their own, to their own businesses, those wonderful entrepreneurs. We've got great programs to encourage, you know, entrepreneurs to have a go. So we encourage them to have a go and then we put in place mechanisms that make it really hard to have a go. And, and childcare is, you know, is for me one of the major barriers. So if you think about it, and I put myself back, I bought my first business when I was 25 um, as a pharmacist. I had my first child after I had my first business. Um, uh, and I sort of see my first business as maybe my firstborn. Anyway, by the by, um, because that's what it was like. But, you know, if you're, if you're wanting um, women and young, young people to focus on getting their businesses up and running, they've got to use childcare if they've got, you know, if they've got a family and predominantly if they're young, they're going to have families. I mean, we don't want them to not have a family because they've got a business. That would be horrifying. Mm. I want them to have a family if they want to have a family. Mm. So the problem comes is that means you've got to use full-time childcare if you're running a business and trying to get it running, up and running. And as we know, with small businesses, you put every last dollar into, you know, into getting your business up and running, you know, investing in stock, investing in, you know, in your business. So childcare is a major, major impediment. Mm. Now, it's true that the government spends literally billions of dollars on childcare, and yes, there is significant subsidies. The problem comes is the cost is still high, really high. Mm. If you've got two kids two kids in full-time childcare, um, now this is a major amount of money. Um, so what it does is it, it's a disincentive for women to grow their businesses. It's a disincentive for young couples to have children or if they have children to spend the amount of hours they really need to in their business. So this is not a hand-on-heart social welfare issue. No. It's a straight productivity issue. Last year before last, I think the figure was 58% of university graduates were women. 58%, not 52% or 51%, 58%. So we're investing too. It's huge, huge. So we are investing heavily in the education, even at university level, of women. Big investment in women, you know, going forward and doing great stuff. And then we put in place mechanisms to impact upon their participation rates in the workforce. And that's both in small business and in business more, more broadly. Um, at the moment, the childcare system, for somebody on an average wage, so a couple with, you know, I think with um, a, um, both on an average wage or potentially an average wage, um, a woman who, it's mostly women, if they work full time, They'll work for two hours, $2 an hour on Thursdays and for nothing on Friday because of the way the childcare subsidy system works and the tax system works, you know, with family benefits and so on. So guess why so many women work three days a week? Because they're not stupid. That's why they get that it's, you know, that fundamentally working Thursdays and Fridays is, um, is not cost effective for them. Yeah. Australia has significantly more part-time 
um, the part-time workforce in Australia is big um, and, in, and Australia has a much bigger percentage of couples working 1.5 FTEs yeah. than anywhere in the world, mm. which tells us we have a problem. We have a problem. So let's move. I know that you are a passionate advocate for mental health and being a small business owner at the best of times is tough and even worse now. And the government is looking to address this through the budget. But what's your advice to small business owners to stay mentally healthy, especially during these challenging times? Natasha, this is something I've been involved with forever. I had anorexia as anorexia in face as a teenager, so I, you know, interfaced personally with the mental health uh, system for many, many years. I'm one of the lucky ones to come out the other end. Many, many people um, haven't. So mental health is something that I've been passionate about for a long time. I'm um, deputy um, chair of Beyond Blue, been involved forever, was CEO of Beyond Blue for a while. So put that on the table. The first thing I'd say to small business um, owners is that you are not Superman or Superwoman. Um, you know, accept that you are human. Um, and right at the moment, the levels of stress in your space, um, human beings don't, you know, you're not, you can't be expected to handle this. And we've got to remember that one in four Australians will experience a mental health problem in their, li in their lives just normally. In, you know, one in five Australians will experience a mental, I mean, anxiety or depression this year. Um, so this is common. It's a common problem. And when you put a huge amount of stress on top of, you know, what is already a pretty full-on lifestyle for small business people, you can't, expect, you can't expect yourself to be able to just cope, soldier on. So first message is accept you, that you're human and then look at what you need to do to manage the, the levels of stress and the levels of issues that are the case at the moment. I don't have to tell small business owners that this is, no one could have planned for this, nobody. And, you know, many businesses, their business loan is secured against their home or they've got a director's guarantee, which in the end means your home. They're worried that they're going to lose, you know, their, their house, they're going to lose 20 years of hard work, you know, all that stuff, really hard. So what do you do? You accept this and accept that any human will need to, to seek a level of support. Now, what is that support? On our website, we have part of our website called My Business Health. And it does talk about cash flow and so on, but it also says, look, there's certain things you've got to do to keep your business healthy. But part of that is keeping yourself healthy. You know, you're not going to come out the other end of this if you crash and burn, you know, if your health isn't up to it, if you can't, you know, if, if you can't do the hours that we all know you have to do. So on that website, we've got a lot of links to, um, to support mechanisms. Um, the COVID support line that Beyond Blue's been funded to, to manage, you, you speak to a mental health professional at the other end. It's not some... And you don't have to give your name. It's a, it's anonymous. You can you can you can do that. There's lots of um, great little YouTube's in there to talk about you know how you maintain your wellness, your well-being. We know about exercise. You just got to do it. Yes, yep. you don't have a choice. You have to do it. We know about um, about diet. 
you just got to do it. Um, we know about mindfulness, you know, taking some time, you know, all that stuff. It gives you all of that information there in one spot. It's when it's not like we're the experts, but we're linking to people um, who are. And I'm really excited that one of the things that happened in the budget was the announcement that early in the new year there'll be something called New Access for Small Business, which will be a program run by Beyond Blue, but worked up across a number of mental health organisations which will give small business owners who, you know, are struggling, and that means you're human, um, um, access to a wellness coach. Brilliant. So it's not a, it's not a medicalised scenario, but it's it's a, a well um, documented, evidence based approach that will help small businesses get a coach to help them manage their well being through. You know, what is a prolonged period of major stress? It isn't going away any any time soon, Kate. And I think, you know, we saw this coming even last year. We had six of our team members become mental health first responders, which I'd never even heard the, the yeah. term before. And the team just loved it. And um, we're incredibly passionate about it. And I think from a business owner perspective, what I'm saying to them is you may the past have had some exposure to someone who you thought might have had a mental health illness well guess what that could be five people in your team next year and they have a long tail you know mental health takes its time and you have a predisposition to have it another issue follow up if it's not dealt with properly so you know business owners are going to have to grapple with this and get and understand it both for themselves but also their employees i absolutely agree um and you know, employees obviously they really matter. You know, they're the you know they're they're the lifeblood of your business, um, and you know they're they're struggling. The reason I focused on small business owners themselves, is small business owners have a tendency to believe they've got to be tough. Yep. You know that if they don't if they can't hold it together, if they can't keep coming to work, if if they you know they'll let down the side. You know if they if they're not able to be a hundred percent a hundred percent of the time. Um, well, that's, you know, that's not true. That means they've got to look after themselves. But looking after your staff through this really matters too. I love the mental health first responders yes. scenario. It's, it's, it's good. There is, some, there, there is a range of programs in this place to help um, small business owners know what to say, what to do. Yes. Um, it's good. We work with Graham Cohen from Are You OK? And uh, he's fabulous uh, called We Care. And what I love is people have had that nervousness about how do I have that difficult conversation? And, and this gives you the framework in which to say, Kate, I'm a bit concerned. You know, how do I have that conversation? So that's really important. So I encourage everyone to get some help. Um, I know that you and I have previously discussed your small business viability review program, um, and it may have a different title now, but can you tell us more about this program? This is around the accounting side of things. Look, this is one of the big gaps in the current budget. This wasn't funded. And we were really disappointed, but we're not giving up, not giving up. Um, and it was, you know, the fact that we could get all of the major accounting organisations, bookkeeping organisations, you know, Cosboa and everyone together to say this needs to happen. So what we are trying to do is get um, a small grant for, you know, or voucher, or I don't care what we call it, for small businesses to be able to go to their accountant, financial advisor, bookkeeper, um, and get a viability assessment and cash flow. 
I think the things that are difficult at the moment for lots of small business is every dollar they've got, um, which isn't many in lots of cases, is going back into their business. And so to have a few thousand bucks available to go to your accountant is just a step too far for many businesses. But cash flow at the moment, they've deferred their rent, their commercial rent, they've deferred payment to their bank, you know, they're likely, well, everyone's going to end up without JobKeeper at some point. We're seeing more businesses that have lost JobKeeper already, but they're, it's because they're 25% down. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean they're profitable. They're not, you know, they're just not. So they've lost, so looking at what cash flow looks like over the next 12, 18 months and determining whether the business is viable going forward and what needs to happen to make it viable and if it's not viable and there's going to be a group of businesses that you know there's just no way under the you know in the current environment that they're going to be viable looking at what you need to do you know how you um, um, how you might um, wind up this business live to fight another day we'll say live to fight you know start another business down the track but, um, you know, I, I hate to even talk about that, but it's true, you know. Um, there's a lot of businesses that at the moment they're just not viable. And so it's identifying um, whether they're viable, identifying what might need to be done to make them viable through this viability assessment we think is really important, particularly for the smaller businesses that simply don't have the cash to be able to go and get this sort of assessment done by their accountant or whatever. Um, so look, I think it's it's a gap in the budget, but we're we're working on it. You know, it's interesting that Deloitte's Access Economics recently said they thought there was two hundred and forty thousand small businesses at risk of failure, and I think that's probably a reasonable figure. And so, looking at how we make as few of those fail as possible, but those that are going to fail. It's almost like fail quickly while you're just accumulating debt. You know, it's not a good outcome. So I'm going to jump around with my questions here because I think this is a lovely segue and you and I have spoken about this before. My concern to this point is that these businesses are going to be uh, closing or wound up and there's going to be implications for their employees. Um, and what we're seeing is a massive spike in unfair dismissal claims. Um, yeah. You know, employees pay $74.50 and they could get up to six months' salary where the mm. redundancy process has not been, it wasn't the way, it wasn't uh, the reason why they did it that was incorrect, it was the way that they did it. Um, so what are you seeing in that space around making employees redundant in these difficult times and what is your advice for small business owners? Look, you know, what it, the figures are really scary in this space. Um, I think um, unfair dismissal claims are up something like 40% this year and they were already far too high before, um, and particularly between March and June. And I think, you know, let's be fair, what happened is businesses were forced to close. So, you know, they, they stood down, stroke, um, put staff off because they didn't have any income. Mm -hmm. Um, some of those ended up getting JobKeeper, but remember there was a chunk that weren't eligible. Um, so um, th this is um, a significant issue and it can be really costly if you don't get it right is the problem. 
we did a chunk of work last year to try to fix up what's called the Fair Dismissal Code. In the Fair Work Act, there is a capacity for small businesses to, dis, you know, to dismiss staff as long as you follow the, the Fair Dismissal Code. Unfortunately, the current Fair Dismissal Code's got lots of big holes in it, so it needs to be fixed. Still mm -hmm. hasn't happened. But what I'm suggesting you do is before you put staff off, um, either get in touch with your industry association if if that's where you get your in, your in, your industrial support from, or give the Fair Work Ombudsman a ring. They do have a, a a small business line, you know, that you can ring. There is information on their on their website, but you know, it's really important to try to get this um, this right. And um, I think this is we're going to see a whole lot more of this going forward because I I know a chunk of businesses we talk to and we're trying to help are ones that can't afford to close and can't afford to stay open. They can't afford to close because they can't afford the redundancies yeah. or their accumulated debt, e.g., you know, rent, commercial rent, and so on. Um, and they can't afford to stay open either. So these these are really important things you just need to get some advice and don't close your eyes put your head in the sand and hope for the best yeah because the best won't happen i think you're absolutely on that yet there and i think you know i did a webinar for cch for accountants uh, yes. yesterday and i said it in a poll i said uh, are you aware now or do you think that a number of your clients are going to need to make people redundant 71 percent said yes so, you know, even to survive, we're going to have to shave off some bits that aren't doing well. So we're back to the bare basic minimum that is a viable business going forward. And, yeah, I, I agree. Get advice. Um, we, we know that as JobKeeper comes off, we know lots of businesses, because they had to, they kept their staff on, but the moment they lose JobKeeper and they're still 25% down or 20% down, the message that understandably we're getting is that, well, we can't have staff that we've just that we don't absolutely need. And so we're going to see you know, unemployment rates go up for a while um, simply because of that transition. And I think, you know, unemployment at the moment is a little bit hidden too because you've got all those corporates who are on redundancy packages that haven't even hit the queue yet um, and those roles aren't coming back. So let's change tact and talk about maybe some particular businesses that you're seeing that are actually doing well and what can we learn for that? Because we all want some of that fairy dust. Look, we do. Um, um, and it's, it, it's really exciting see, seeing it happen. It's not happening simply and it's not like, you know, overnight people are, are doing really smart, um, smart things. But it's people, it's businesses that are digitising quickly. So I was... Um, at a Rotary Club last night giving out some vocational awards for businesses that had done cool things in, 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 uh, um, during COVID. And, you know, there was the, the local the, a gym, a curves gym in Canberra um, run by women, you know, worked hard to, you know, to, to grow their business. All of a sudden they're closed. You know, they went, um, they went online. They went to providing um, um, gym sessions um, via the by the internet, the Zoom gym sessions. They also provided gym sessions for kids um, because kids were at home, you know. When, um, driving their parents nuts. Driving their parents nuts, so gym sessions were really good. 
Um, they're open again now, but their business now will never go back to straight um, centre-based um, gym sessions anymore. They've grown their business. They've expanded their clientele. You know, they're providing online, um, you know, um, services for people with arthritis, for people who are homebound for various... Anyway, they've done well. You know, it's still tough. It's not like they're rolling in the money. But the one I almost like most, because it's just so unlikely, was the artisan baker. Um, now, he has been... He worked for one of the best-known... Um, bakeries, artisan bakeries in Canberra for 20 years, went out on his own in, in uh, October last year. Then we had the bushfires and you couldn't go outside. Um, so, we, you know, people weren't eating outside. He, what, he couldn't sell at markets because the markets were closed. Then we had major hail damage on his, uh, his, um, his premises. And then we had COVID, so he was closed. So what he did was he turned his delivery van into a mobile shop. He put um, speakers on the top like Mr Whippy, um, um, not not playing green sleeves, but let your ears hang down, go figure, um, go figure. Um, and he went into the social media space and this is the smart bit. He used social media brilliantly to go out to all those people who were, wor who were working from home to say, you know, he was keen to come to their suburb you know, he was keen to respond to what they were looking for in terms of product. And he's grown this huge following in social media and he goes out to various, you know, spaces around the region and he's selling out every day, um, which is, you know, it shows that it's not just about IT companies, you know, it's people who actually sell product as well. And then there's things like buy from the bush. Now, buy from the bush started during the drought from a whole from us women. Fascinating women do this stuff. Um, um, so um, some women who set up buy from the bush for last Christmas, um, and interestingly, um, that about maybe it was about three hundred and fifty businesses turned over five million dollars um, really quickly. You know, because people wanted to buy from the bush, and just today I've seen that PayPal has, has, has um, partnered with Buy From The Bush to, to ramp up that whole web in, environment so little operators can sell their, their products directly to people that might, not, that might be in cities um, and uh, do so in a cost-effective way. So, look, the, it's the people who have focused on their customers Mm. who were focused on what their customers want and need, um, expanded their customer base using social media, using platforms, uh, um, and have, um, I suppose, have tailored their service to what their customers are telling them. And, you've, you know, it's got to, there's got to be a digital component, but it's also about customer service. Yep. So Give your clients what they want and they'll keep coming. That's right, and we've got methods of doing that that are cost-effective now. You know, back when I bought my first business, now none of this was possible. Now you can be my baker with the Facebook scenario. Um, a, a company called UGG since 1974 lost 94% of their business when there was no Chinese tourists anymore. They went on to the Made in Australia Facebook site and told the story that 
They were manufacturing Ugg boots in Australia. Only 4% of Ugg boots sold in Australia are made in Australia. And all of a sudden, you know, they're surviving. Yeah. I'm not saying it's fantastic, but they've got customers because Australians want to buy from Australia. Australians are telling us that they want to support their local businesses, but they're also telling us that there was an NBN survey just recently where, you know, 66% of people surveyed said they wanted to buy locally, but they were struggling because a lot of local businesses didn't have a decent website, didn't have real, you know, you couldn't actually work out what it was they were providing or when they were open. Mm. You know, we've got to get better than that as small business operators. Totally. I've got, I think, time for one more question. I want to ask this one because I think it, you know, when we talk about modern awards, most small business owners that does their head in. They just can't read 60. I struggle to read 60 pages of legislation. Um, uh, what is, you know, what you, I know you're making some suggestions about a small business award. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Look, what we're saying to the government is sort of, you know, just a statement of fact. You know, the Fair Work Act is 960 sections, quarter of a million words. And that's before you get to the 122 different awards. And the awards will do your head in. And the thing I think often we don't remember is Australia is unique in this space. The award system doesn't exist in other countries, bit in New Zealand, but, but generally to have, you know, this sort of two layers of requirements and maybe three if you bring in, um, in the underpinning requirements um, of industrial relations law generally, the national standards stuff. Um, this is just too complex. The, the number of pay points that exist in, say, the retail award or the hospitality award does your head in, spot on. So what we're saying is, look, if 97% of businesses have less than 20 employees, if 75% of those have less than five employees, they don't have HR sections. They don't have people who are experts in this space. It's the owners that are doing the wages and it scares the living daylights out of them that they're going to do it wrong and end up being called a wage thief, you know, mm. thief or something. So they don't employ. So, and we hear that all the time. So just not game mm. to put people on because we think we might get it wrong and we don't know what the economy looks like. We don't know if we might need another shutdown. We, you know, all of the things that are totally, you know, reasonable for them to say. So we've got to make, we've got to have a system that is simpler and removes the risk of employment if we want those million Australians that need jobs into jobs and they need to be into jobs in SMEs. I, I have to say, you know, the thing that's sad about this, and I'm usually pretty honest, I'm going to be very honest here, is that what I've said is just a statement of fact, you know, it's not, it's not elaborated at all, um, why we can't get the unions and the employer groups around a table with the government to say, yeah, we actually need to just produce jobs here. Um, and at the moment, it's not happening, I'd have to say. There's been lots of meetings, but we just don't have um, that agreement that there needs to be, you know, a, an approach for small businesses that significantly simplifies the, you know, employing an extra person. Nobody is trying to cut terms and conditions. Nobody's trying to pay less. We're just trying to, have to, to work out a way to make it simpler and less scary for businesses in this incredibly unsure time 
to take people on and not get caught by the system. So I'd love to be more, it needs to happen, just needs to happen. So we need, you know, we need the unions to accept that this is a good thing, not a bad thing. Um, We need employer groups to, to, to come to the table and we need government probably to have a bit of courage to take some of this stuff on. Um, we'll keep pushing. And there's um, never been a better time, Kate. You know, what is it they say, you know, um, necessity breeds innovation or something along those lines. You know, it there is an opportunity here and it will work for both parties, both the unions getting more of their employees, members back to work, and then for the business owners, they want to pick up, they want to hire, but let's not make it more difficult than it needs to be especially when we're not confident. You know, nobody knows what the next 12 months will look like. Don't know if we're going to end up with another wave or something happening, which means you've got to close your business, hopefully for not very long next time. But hopefully there's not a next time. But it makes it really scary to employ people. It does. You know, um, so we've, you know, we've got to solve this. Otherwise, we won't achieve what we want. And that's people back to work and I go back to the stat I gave earlier you know in 2018 76% of all new jobs came from the SME sector that's where employment happens if it's not happening um, we just we won't achieve what we need to do at the moment with the economy and with unemployment. Mm. Kate we've covered so much is there anything else you'd like to leave our listeners with before we wrap? Can I just do three things what's you know What I would love small businesses to do, and I know this is tough, is to sit down with your financial advisor and and put together a cash flow for the next 18 months. You know, we'll still try to get that that grant for you to, you know, to make that a bit better, but please do it because you need to, to really embrace the digital economy. It's not scary stuff. There's a range of opportunities you know, my Ob Zero, Google, I've got all of these wonderful marketplaces and app stores and so on. Um, social media is a great way to market, things like buy from the bush, so and so, you know, embrace digital and take care of yourself. Go to my business health. If you crash and burn, your business will crash and burn with you. So don't let that happen. That is amazing. And I, I think the piece that resonates for me there is that cash flow piece. I think, you know, one of the challenges as a business owner, and I've spent an enormous amount of money trying to educate myself, and the vast majority of businesses, small businesses, have never had a cash flow. And I know we fought a long time and then we finally put it in. And the clarity that we get from having that information and the ability to make decisions because we can see what's happening it's something everyone should do now but it's something that they should always be doing going forward look absolutely and of course now um, there is some really really cost effective you know programs that you can you can get up and running that are cloud-based that really will help your business but you need a cash flow you really 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 need a cash flow right now and you need to assess whether your business is viable going forward and what changes you need to make to ensure it is. Um, yep. So you need a bit of help, a bit of support. Pivot, pivot, pivot. Kate, I've learned so much. And so thank you so much for generously sharing your knowledge and time with us today. Um, so where, again, should people go to get help so that we can make sure people can get access um, to if you If you type in My Business Health into your, into your web browser, it's a, it's a website that sits, you know, um, up alongside the Spifio um the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman um, website, yes, world's worth name, there's no doubt. Um, it's got 
Um, right at the top, it says, do you need help, you know, around COVID? Click it and it'll ask you some questions like, are you a sole trader? Are you a small business you know, owner? And it'll push you, it'll give you a chunk of information, including, by the way, things that are available from the budget, things that are available from state governments, grants, you know, all sorts of business type stuff, but also how to look after yourself as well. Brilliant. Kate, thank you so much for everything you do and thank you for being on the Employees Matters podcast. Um, it's a pleasure. It's always, it's, it's always great speaking to you. Thank you, Kate. Bye. Bye. I hope that you've enjoyed today's episode of Employees Matter podcast with Natasha Hawker. For episode notes and other resources, please visit employeematters.com.au forward slash podcast. While you're there, you might like to subscribe for future episodes so you can continue to thrive during the COVID-19 crisis. Please be sure to share this and other episodes with your friends, team and business network. This podcast was proudly brought to you by Ring Central.